Hey, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier. I will be with you for the duration of this interview as I am your host. The Claim the Stage podcast is all about public speaking and all the things that women care about when it comes to getting on stage, sharing their truth, being confident, and telling an awesome story. Today I have Sally Zimney on my show who is a speaker coach and she has also been an actor. She's been a speaker and she combined all of her experience to help people who want to be better on stage. And I just fell in love with her. I think she is so fun and she has her own take on things. And this interview, we just tried to focus on authenticity and as it pertains to speakers. And I just really love what she has to say about finding your authentic voice and how to be yourself on stage. Because really, let's face it, there's only one way to be on stage, and that's to be yourself. And in order to be yourself on stage, you have to follow some of Sally's advice to figure out how to become that person. And it's really interesting because we think it's probably really easy to do, but as you'll find out in this interview, it's really not. And she's going to walk you through how to become an authentic speaker on stage. So without further ado, I introduce you to Harry Authenticity with Sally Zimney. On today's show, I'd like to welcome Sally Zimney. Sally is an award-winning speaker and longtime presentation coach with a passion for helping purpose-driven people create and deliver talks that move the world. She's the host of This Moved Me, a podcast and blog on the art of public speaking, and has had the privilege of interviewing some of the biggest names in the industry while sharing insights and inspiration with her audience. Sally has spoken in front of thousands of people, coached hundreds of people on their talks from all over the world, cheering them on to be become more confident and compelling communicators and has been featured on dozens of podcasts and blogs as an expert in the field of presentation skills and development. She knows that speaking can be scary, so she makes it her deal not to be. (laughs) Sally, thanks so much for coming on the show. I'm so excited to be here with you, Angela, my fellow Wonder Woman. <laughs> That's, right. That's right. How do you make it your deal not to be scary? What do you do? Is it like a oh. costume? <laughs> Wouldn't that be great if I just showed up in a costume? I think that would could be really scary, actually. Oh, depending, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, it's from what I understand and what my clients have told me over the years is that I'm very, an approachable person. And so I really try and keep that to the forefront that my job as coach is to be really connected and to get to know the people I'm working with. One of my kind of mantras that I say over and over is we invest in each other before we invest in our talks. So, uh, I want, the, the relationship between me and, and the people I work with is the utmost importance. So I want to know what's going on in your life. What's going on with your family? Um, how are your kids? What are you stressed about? Not that it's therapy or anything, but, um, <laughs> are they lying on a couch or how is that? Right. What's the setup? Like <laughs> whatever, whatever works. You no, know? <laughs> Um, I have a question about that. I think that's a really cool approach, especially because you're going to be digging into all different parts of their life. And so to just start kind of getting things out in the open is a good way to do that. Is that something someone taught you to do or did you like figure that out over time? 
Well, yeah, I, I figured that out over time because as I started coaching people, I realized if I wanted to give feedback, really good feedback, we needed to have this strong relationship and I, they needed to know I had their best inter- interests at heart that I cared about them, that I, I get them. Um, because if I can see things through that lens and they understand that and know that, then we can take bigger leaps together. We can take bigger risks together. We can have bigger conversations about the difficult things. And so like, you know, like any relationship, when you have that sort of trust, you can go to different places. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I had enough experiences where I, where that relationship didn't exist, where it was, we didn't have the kind of time and space to really invest in our relationship as coach and speaker. And the talks didn't go as far. The transformation in my mind wasn't as complete because uh, we didn't have that sort of personal foundation, if that makes sense. Because what you're talking about is exactly right. This is a very personal experience Mm -hmm. if you're doing it right. Um, And so I'm always surprised again and again at how transformative this can be for people, not just as speakers, but in sort of, Whew, stepping out into the world in a way that feels authentic, mm-hmm. throwing in our word today. But yeah, <laughs> like, you know, that feeling is really empowering for people. And so uh, I want to just establish that sort of level of personal connection right from the outset. Yeah. So you're actually giving everyone listening to the podcast great advice when it comes to looking for a, a coach to work on presentations. There needs to be that comfort level and that element of partnership in order for the talk to go well and for the work to be meaningful. So absolutely. That's, that's really great. I'm glad that you do that. Cause I, I agree. There has to be that level of comfort so there can be honesty and vulnerability. Otherwise, how do you mm-hmm. ever get to the core of what you're trying to do? Right. Yep. Very cool. Can you tell us before we like go nuts on a hundred different subjects, um, your <laughs> background, like how you got into this? Because I think mm-hmm. it's such an interesting field. Like public speaking is something that scares so many people. So whenever I meet mm-hmm. someone else who's trying to empower and educate others on how to be better at it, I'm like, oh my god, I need to know how this started and like how you yeah. became a crazy person too. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> well, in some ways, my journey was pretty standard. I was in high school speech and loved it. And I was the beneficiary of some incredible coaches, like world-class coaches who taught me an incredible amount and brought me to a level of a success as a speaker that I thought, oh, there's something here. And and I really enjoyed it. So that was sort of like phase one as I had a lot of success as a high school speech kid. Um, and if anybody is listening is in high school speech, it's like, yeah, woo, you're like, welcome to the club. Um, <laughs> and if you're not, you're like, I don't know what the big deal is. <laughs> so, yeah. I'm like, oh, I know who Sally was. Sally was that one girl in my school who liked giving speeches. I know, totally. <laughs> so I always felt a kinship to it. But then I had this other side of my work that was a, a, a theater 
uh, craft where I, I was in shows and was a theater major in college. And, and so I had these two different worlds and I really loved the idea of bringing them together. So I found myself at an organization, this large nonprofit where we do uh, programs at schools all throughout the country where I was out giving talks to 150 kids every day. Um, and there was no structure. There was no message in their talks. It was kind of like, go on out there and talk about respect. I'd be like, okay. <laughs> um, I mean, I can do that, but I quickly stepped into the role of coach there and helped develop the content and the curriculum and the messages. And then it was this wonderful platform for me because I was able to work with dozens of speakers every year who each gave, you know, six to 10 talks. So it was this huge opportunity to learn and to find myself as a coach and to work with lots of different people. And so that sort of started my transition from speaker then to coach. And I've always felt that my experience in theater has been so informative in terms of how we find ourselves in what can seem like a little bit of a awkward scenario. Like, you know, standing up in front of people is not the most natural thing. And yet we have to find a way for it to become natural. For us. So there's a lot of parallels I see there. Yeah, me too. And today's episode is mostly we're going to talk about authenticity. And so I'm wondering mm. at what point in your work, whether it was as an actor or as a speaker or as a coach, you started to recognize that authenticity was the secret sauce or the thing that really built that connection with the audience. Yeah. Well, for me, uh, once I had this curriculum developed at this organization and I would hand it to people and say, you know, here are the basic talking points and here's the structure. It was this really long process with each speaker to help them find themselves in that. And it would take a year or more of consistent coaching and feedback and going back again and again to the same talk until people would take something that started as a generic outline or would watch somebody else give that same talk, but with different stories and to find themselves in that. And so watching a speaker go from it's up in their head and this is like they know the idea of what they're supposed to be doing and watching it travel down into their body and was just moving as a coach. I mean, I'll never forget the first moment I saw one of my speakers who worked his butt off, but he was not a real, he was not a natural speaker. He was a youth worker. Like he loved kids, but watching him after a year of consistent, really hard work, he just nailed it one day. It was like, he came alive up there in a way. And I was like, Doug, that was amazing. And it was <laughs> this aha moment of that was all you. It wasn't my words put on you. It wasn't, you know, you being like somebody else that was so you and it was beautiful. And I was sort of hooked in that moment. I'm like, I gotta, I gotta do more of that because it was just such an amazing transformation. So oh. what do you attribute that transformation to? Uh, well, <clears throat> It wouldn't have happened for Doug 
if he had not been so determined and worked so hard. I mean, this, every time we worked together, we would sit down afterwards for 20, 30 minutes and talk feedback. And he tried a lot of different things. And so the fact that we had this opportunity to practice what he was working on so often, um, that's what I think it is. And it's, it, it seems antithetical to be like, you have to practice a lot in order to find your authenticity. <laughs> Cause you'd think, Oh, I'm just going to be myself. So I'm just going to throw myself up there and not really prepare. And in fact, it's usually the opposite. Um, especially when you're starting out uh, and once until you can sort of find your voice and find your body, up on stage, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, actually, I think what you're saying is is so right, and and I I find it's also confusing because you think, yeah, if I'm just going to go up on stage and be myself. Then why would I need to practice at that? It should just be natural. But I think the problem is we're trained to be somebody else for so long that we need to almost untrain ourselves from being that other person, like being in, in a public school or any school and having to conform to the rules and the guidelines and the type of characteristics that the kids who do well have. And then mm-hmm. being in a job where you have to, you know, show show up in a certain way. You can only dress a certain way. You can only talk a certain way. You have to conform to a culture. And then you get up on stage and you're told like, okay, now be yourself. And you're like, I've never been myself. How would I right. <laughs> Right. What does that even mean? Yeah. And then later, I was myself on the day I was born. And then every day after that, I was becoming somebody else. And now I'm (laughs) supposed to become that person again. Right. (laughs) Well, and layer on top of that, all of the fear and the anxiety and the, the myths of what we believe, what so many people believe a speaker is or should be. And people are convinced that it, it's not, couldn't possibly be them then then you're like really the 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 hurdle to climb is huge mm-hmm. but i feel like a big part of my job is to just demystify all of that and say it you don't have to do it like anybody else i'm really curious to know how you want to do it and like how how angela like what an angela talk is i cannot wait to see an angela talk cuz it's going to be so specific to you, or it should be, you know, as an audience member, I want to, I want to feel like I'm getting to know you, that I believe you, I know you, I've, you know, like that we are having this connection Um, and, uh, that, that sort of mindset and frame is a great idea, but it's not something we easily walk into for all the reasons we just talked about. There's so much stuff that can get in the way. Mm-hmm. And that's why authenticity is so hairy. <laughs> I, I mean, I've, I've only heard it described that way once and it was from you. And I said, that has to be the name of the podcast. <laughs> I know. It's tricky. It is tricky. It's, it's full of conundrums and and myths and wrong ideas and truths. And it's just, you know, I've spent 20 years of my life pulling it apart. Yeah. And it's still for everybody that has to be our gut check before we walk out on stage mm-hmm. is does this feel like me? Uh, and we're the only ones who can tell that. So, 
Well, you said when we were chatting last week that authenticity is what it feels like when your content is fully integrated with your body. And I wrote mm. that down and I was like, I have to ask her about this. Yeah. Because <laughs> like, how do you know it's fully integrated in your body? Like, is that is that like a like squiggles around in there and it just feels right <laughs> or is it like <laughs> that's a great question what do I really mean by that um I guess that what I would say is you know it when you've had that experience because there's something really freeing about it you're not thinking anymore your brain has sort of stepped out of the way and it is coming from your body in this really organic way. So, um, it, I don't know if you can, uh, when I'm coaching somebody, I feel like I can literally see where it is in their body. I feel like I can see <laughs> when the content is bouncing around in their head. Hmm. Right. And they, you can't even, when that's happening, you can't even think about like, Oh my gosh, wh wh how, how am I moving my body? It's all just like, it's bouncing around in your head and your body sort of bouncing around with it. But when it starts to sink down, uh, which takes a lot of time and a lot of uh, commitment for it to really be integrated into your body, then your, your gestures come from you in a really natural way. The passion comes out of you. You don't have to, um, you don't have to put that on in the same way. Um, and we practice up towards that. Like you can, you can play with these things when you're rehearsing and see if you like find yourself in that process. Uh, cause, uh, what a lot of people find is it feels silly at first. And then eventually they start to sort of know themselves in that experience. I don't know if I'm making any sense at you, all. You are. But, and okay. So I have a follow-up question because I think there's yeah. two schools of thoughts on this. There's the school of thought that says you need to move your arms in a in a way that gives that accents what you're talking about and embellishes the points and brings more meaning to each of your sentences. Mm -hmm. And you need to step forward when you're making a point and trying to get your audience to pay attention and don't mm -hmm. just pace back and forth, make sure you're using the space effectively. And then it mm -hmm. sounds like there's a second school of thought that says move in a way that feels good to you. If your body's saying, I want to walk to the right, then walk to the right. And if your mm -hmm. arms feel like they need to move because that's how they feel good, then you should do that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that's where, probably confusing. So where, totally. where, where do you fall on that? And, and what do you think people should be trying out? Yeah, I, I'm right in the middle on that puppy because honestly, movement and using the stage, I think should be planful. Um, there's a way to move that's not distracting and there's a time to move. And oh my God, pacing speakers drive me insane. It's so distracting. So that has become the bar that I use. Uh, is this distracting from what you're trying to tell me? And if it is, then it's a problem and we can work on that specific thing. If it's not, if I am connected to what you're saying and I'm engaged by who you are up there, then it doesn't even matter. Um, and so oftentimes when people get so prescriptive on how they move and how their arms work and 
you know, what to do with their hands at this exact moment. Cause I've, I've been coached that way. That was high school speech. You know, I've done that. Um, it can, uh, it can get in the way of this feeling natural for you. Um, and it can feel too polished or, you know, it, like, like I said, I think the, ultimately if your audience is like, I believe you, then, then you are good to go. <laughs> but, uh, sometimes that sort of prescription can get in the way of that feeling. But on the other hand, I don't think it should be willy, willy nilly. Like, oh, yeah, I don't know. Just do what you feel like. Because, uh, at times that can feel like, a you know, we're watching, we're watching somebody run around in their head because, um, I don't want to get too off topic on this, but I found that speakers who pace are speakers who are not actually in their body. Hmm. They are, the content is running around in their head. And as I work with speakers, your feet mimic what's happening in your brain. So I don't know if you've ever noticed that, but uh, if somebody's really nervous and they tend to do a lot of pacing, their brain is just going ding, 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 ding. That, that's that's the official noise for <laughs> it sounds like the wheel of fortune wheel <laughs> oh my gosh but when you have a speaker right who know they're landing in this moment and they know what moment they're moving towards their body often describes and shows that so it's not I, i'm not in totally one camp or the other but i want to start with let's see let let's Focus on getting your content into your body. And once you've done that work of like really taking the time and effort and preparation for it to go beyond memorization and into integration, once that happens, a lot of that stuff takes care of itself, mm -hmm. but not everything. So as a speech coach, I'm sure when you're sitting in the audience, you're watching speakers, maybe at conferences or at workshops and you you can kind of tell who's in their body and who's not. Mm -hmm. And, and I'm always looking at the same things. I'm like, do I like this person? Is this person trying to connect with me? Is this just, mm -hmm. you know, a data dump? And I mm -hmm. wonder like for you, how do you know you like a speaker? Is it that, that you can tell the information and their content is fully integrated in their body or are they doing something that makes you like them? Mm. That's a great question. I'm nice. sorry. Can you hear my dog barking? I can. What kind of dog is it? Oh, she's a lab, oh, and a she... lab Springer mix. Does um, she want to come on the podcast? <laughs> I think she's she already would... on the podcast. Okay, I know. <laughs> Too late. She's in there. Um, yeah, someone must just be at the front door. It's fine. She's done now. Uh, yeah. Wow. That is such a good question, Angela. I think it's probably a combination because I find myself liking uh, people's talks for very different reasons, like, um, really appreciating somebody's thoughtful content, you know, and, and admiring their structure. <laughs> and then I also love people who are bold and brave and doing really cool new things. So, um, I don't know if, I don't know if I'm answering that question very well, but I guess it really depends. Um, there's so many different 
types of speakers out there. And I really love that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I could never say there's one thing either, but it's kind of yeah. like that they're doing their thing really well. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Where I'm like this, again, that sort of feeling of, I don't exactly know you, but I now I feel like I do. Yeah. I feel like I I get who you are. One thing I, I like to tell people to try, like in my speaking school, I'm always like, try to, you know, infuse personal stories in what you're teaching because it helps your audience get to know you better and also helps you, them see they can that you can relate to where they are because mm -hmm. maybe you were where they are right now. Do you think that's a good way to teach by including personal stories or do you think they're are other ways that people can kind of get their point across while also showing themselves. Oh, no, I think it's huge. I think it's it should be the essential tool of any speaker. Like a lots of stories to call upon and there's a there's a great brain reason which I'm sure you're aware of, Angela, of why stories are so effective and it's because we the, it triggers all of our empathy in our brain. And so it's an amazing way to kind of lower people's defenses and to build a bridge where there may not feel like there is a bridge at the moment. So I think it's a huge, hugely important tool and so powerful, It whether you're teaching or you're keynoting or um, you know, you're in a workshop, wherever, wherever you are, I think stories are probably like the most critical tool that we can develop as speakers is telling a great, powerful story and then using it to highlight some sort of insight or wisdom that we want to share with people. Yeah, I totally agree. Do you want to share one or two tips on how to tell a great story? Sure. Yes. Um, <laughs> Yeah, good <laughs> question. One or two tips. Um, I something that is sort of a pet peeve that I just think is unnecessary, and we we probably don't even hear ourselves doing this kind of thing when you're when you're about to tell a story. Please don't tell us that you're going to tell a story because <laughs> you don't you don't need to do that. You can just go right in and start with the story. Um, because th there's something really interesting for the audience and engaging for them for you to just jump in instead of saying, I want to tell you this story. But That's instead saying, last Wednesday, I was walking down the street and blah, 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 whatever it might be. Yeah, good point. Okay. And th the other piece is this powerful combination and these are just the two that came to mind. So this is not like the two most important things by any means, but the, how we use the specific to call upon the universal. So, um, our, my specific story is of course going to be specific to me and might be very different than if you told a story about the same thing, but then using that specific story to tap into the universal experience of human beings. So I'm trying to think of a good example. Um, oh, I know. I, I was working with a woman who was telling a story about her mother. And her mother had uh, 
has paranoid schizophrenia, un, untreated paranoid schizophrenia. And she's kind of talking about as her daughter, how hard that is. And she really struggled for a long time of like, should I be telling this story? It's about my mother. Um, and what does that have to do with this audience of people who most of whom probably do not have a parent with paranoid schizophrenia? And I said, no, but I bet there are people in the audience for whom the relationship with their parent might be strained or might be different than what they imagined that their mother-daughter relationship would be like and, and the sort of grief and sadness that we carry around with that kind of experience. So it would be a much less interesting story for her to just kind of generically talk about the struggle with her mom. Mm-hmm. But for her to share her very specific story and then draw out of that the universal piece, that's powerful. That's beautiful. And that creates this connection and resonance between this audience who doesn't have that same experience but totally gets what that feels like. Yes, I love it. How would you say or how do you know a speaker has been successful on stage? What do you think is the like the qualifier or the, I don't know, the, mm. the sign that it was a successful talk. Mm. Well, I guess I would say if they feel really good about it, <laughs> because man, I don't trust, I don't trust audience evaluations. I think they tend to be either overly critical or overly enthusiastic and you don't always get helpful information from that. I don't totally trust uh, like an event coordinator is always like, great, it was great, loved it. Like you don't get real time <laughs> feedback there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's really, that's a really, really difficult question because so often we as speakers, I don't know if this is true for you, Angela, but we can be so hard on ourselves. Oh, no, I'm totally not hard on myself <laughs> at all. <laughs> right? Yeah, I mean, I so wish can I we knew even... what you were talking about. <laughs> right. Can we even trust our own assessment of how we've done? Or is it never, like, what it could be? Um, so I don't know. How do we have – I don't know, I guess you get a, a good coach who can be a good mirror for you. <laughs> I guess that's my lesson. I don't know. What do you think? I think that the sign of a good speaker is that their audience feels compelled to take action in the way that mm. the speaker was encouraging them to during the talk. Yeah. And and there's really no way for the speaker to know whether or not their audience took action unless they like literally drive home, like follow them home and, you know, right. <laughs> like peer right. inside their windows. Yeah. Which I don't, I'm not recommending that, but <laughs> I do think that if, if you're really clear in your talk about what you're teaching them to do and at the end you reiterate it and ask people like who here is going to take a step in, in one of the directions I talked about to you tonight or is going to try one of the things I talked about and you get people mm -hmm. to raise your hand it's almost mm -hmm. like you're having them sign a contract in some way and that's mm. probably increasing the chances of them doing it of course we have no real way of knowing but if you can get people that enthusiastic and courageous enough to raise their hand to say yes I'm going to do it I think that's a sign of a good talk absolutely yeah, yeah. that's a that's a really wonderful bar to use I much prefer that that's great. Yeah. So what do you think 
a lot of speakers do wrong on stage? Mm, uh, the the biggest sin is way too strong a word, but uh, that that I think I see with speakers is the overly polished speaker who uh, could be giving the same speech no matter what audience they're talking to, what sort of format they have, what kind of space uh, in responding to what the space is like or adjusting to that space and or not adjusting to the space. Uh, in my mind, that kind of disconnected the brain from what's really happening, I think is is the biggest sort of no-no from a speaker is, you know, they, I don't feel like they've invested any time into what's really happening here in the room right now, this audience and, and what these people need. So it's not serving their audience. I guess that would be a big no-no. And I was at a conference last week, I think it was last week, it was an amazing conference, but I could not believe so many speakers just like rambled through their content. And I walked away. I was like, I do not know what they want me to get out of this. And that just bums me out and makes me sad because these are incredibly talented, powerful people, but who, who did not really sort and think through how can I structure this so that there's edible pieces for people and people can find themselves in in the talk instead of feel so overwhelmed and lost, you know, like information dump talks. Yeah. No, thank you. (laughs) Yeah. Actually I was at a, I was at a conference a couple weeks ago too. It was a women's conference and there were probably 200 people there and probably 15 or so breakout workshops and, three or four keynote speakers and that's a long day we were there for yeah like eight hours and I was shocked that none of the workshop presenters did anything to get us out of our seats or get us talking to each other yeah Yeah, I'm like hello like you know we're sitting here all day why don't you give us a chance to actually like interact and be part of this conversation instead of just sitting and staring for hours and hours yeah yeah and like that's like speaking 101 you know like know what your audience is going through where they're coming from what's on their mind everyone's sore Right. Everyone is sick of sitting in the chair. Stop it. <laughs> Can I tell you about one of the amazing talks I saw at this conference? Yes, please. Because I think it was so cool what he did. Uh, the speaker is a man named Hank Fortner, who I've, I've had on my show, actually, and he's he's unbelievable. He's such an amazing speaker. And he was the final speaker of the conference, so expectations are high for this person, right, who's closing everything out. And I knew something interesting was going to happen because they had plastic down on like the front half of the stage and he came out in this white suit head to toe white suit and then he had paint on the front of the stage and his talk was about how uh, what what different colors represent for us in our lives and he 
so he would kind of talk about the characteristics of the color blue, for instance, right? Blue on the positive side means like loyalty and the earth and like all these beautiful ideas. But blue also means sad, struggling, remote, you know, uh, like morose, sort of all these things. So he's, he he asked for people in the audience, like, who's a blue person? He's like, we put, we put our colors on each other. And he said, I want you to come up. And he just picked a few of the blue people and they came up and they dug their hands in the paint and then wiped it on, on his white suit. And, and while they're doing that, he's talking to us. Like I was so impressed by his ability <laughs> to stay focused and engaging. And he was, you know, he's a very compelling speaker. And these people just delighted in doing it. They're like, oh, this is so cool, right? And it got everybody, like all these people up on their feet, walking up on stage. And it was, he was showing, obviously, uh, what he was talking about. And I just love that he did not come out and give, because he could have just come out and given an entertaining keynote speech and it would have been like, yeah, that was really good. But I love that he just broke some rules and said, I'm going to do this a little differently and, you know, push the space. The space was very nervous about this talk, understandably, but I, I just really appreciated him putting in a little time and energy to do something different. Yeah. I you know? love it. Yeah. Like we as speakers, we can do different things. We do not have to be held in by the conventions of what everybody else has always done. Yeah. Can you share a story of, of one of your clients and how you help them do something different or share a piece of advice so that maybe the listeners can think about how they could be doing things differently? Well, I don't know, this, this was not a client of mine, but a friend of mine who's a speaker. And she um, she went to the effort, and the, this is kind of out there, but she does trapeze work. And she said, I want to find a way to bring my trapeze work into this talk. She's like, is that insane? And I was like, <laughs> I love it. I think you should got to do something. That's so amazing. <laughs> But it was kind of like this Hank Fortner talk. She was giving this real life example of what risk looks like and how uh, how freeing it can be when we step off the edge and go for it. And so it, it, that sort of risk taking can be so moving. Um, and it, it doesn't have to be that extreme. But for ourselves as speakers, we need to be pushing ourselves to do something a little risky. Yeah. Like it should feel a little risky and not that we, uh, you know, abandon our own like sense of what feels safe completely, but, but to push ourselves enough that we are testing our limits on courage and vulnerability. And because in that, through that process, by taking those kinds of risks, we will find our authentic voices and share them more importantly, because most of us know it deep inside, but like sharing it requires us to take a risk and to really be vulnerable. So I'm always cheering on anybody who's willing to take a risk, whatever that means for you. Yeah, I totally agree. Can I tell you a story about a time I took a risk? 
<laughs> yes. <laughs> I think I might have told this story on this podcast before, but I'm going to tell it again. Good. I was giving a presentation for an MBA class at you know a major university about personal branding, and. At that time, I had these five dresses I had made for me for my business, and I had my logo stamped on them, and I wore them every single day. And so I always gave speeches in them. But on that day, I was like, all right, I'm going to wear my, one of my dresses, but I'm going to wear like a, not a pantsuit, but like a blazer and a button-down shirt with a long skirt and these really ugly pumps. And I'll just like start presenting in that. And then halfway through the talk, I'll take off the button down shirt and the skirt and it'll reveal my dress underneath. And it'll be about (laughs) personal. That's awesome. (laughs) It'll be, it'll be about, you know, revealing your true self to the world. That's amazing. In my mind, that was a really great idea. (laughs) Until the moment you went slowly unbutton your blouse was the audience just like what is she doing yes yes <laughs> and this is like this is... <laughs> I love it. you know the professors there the ta like 20 corporate <laughs> employees who are all getting their mba <laughs> oh, God, so and i'm just like oh my god what am i doing what am i doing and i just started unbuttoning it i was just looking at the floor because i could not make eye contact with anybody <laughs> You are amazing. It was. Um, they will never forget it, though. They, they will never forget it. You're right. They haven't because they still email me about it. That talk was like six <laughs> years ago, and I've run into them sometimes because the school is near where I live. So sometimes I'll see some of the students at networking events and, you know, mutual friends. And they're like, I remember <laughs> that workshop you gave. When you started stripping? Yeah, when you took <laughs> off your best. outfit. Yeah, so thanks for that. And and it's funny because, like, they had a much different experience than I did. They were like, we, you know, some people have said, I felt like you were so courageous for doing that. Your face was bright red and you looked like you were totally regretting it when you did it. <laughs> but we all applaud you for trying. Aww. So anyway, what I learned from that was, you know, think through what it's going to actually feel like to do it on stage because it might be a great idea in your mind, but when you get there, it's probably a little bit different. And yeah. don't be afraid to take those risks because, you know, when I left there, I felt mortified, but they all had a very different <laughs> experience. Right. And they appreciated it. So I totally agree. Take risks on stage and experiment with that stuff because that's what you learn, like what your real like presentation style is. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. Let's jump into our lightning round. All right. Five quick questions with Sally. That's what we call it. (laughs) Number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Okay, so I have to tell you, I wrote all this down because I I did just a little preparing. I wrote all this down before we started talking, and I'm looking at it, and it's totally reflective of what we're talking about. Oh. So, okay, ask me number one again. (laughs) What's the, that's okay. What's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Okay, I wrote be bold. Yes. Okay. Don't be afraid to like piss some people off if you need to. Um, just be bold. Go for it. Cool. And number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Uh, this sort of stumped me. I wasn't sure. In high school, it was work hard, play hard, <laughs> and that still resonates with me. <laughs> cool. How do you play hard? Do you have like a favorite activity? 
Um, you know what? I have a wonderful group of friends, and we all happen to live like within the same two miles of each other. And we like to uh, dress up and have crazy parties. <laughs> <laughs> like in costumes? Yes. Oh, my God. You do beach, wear costumes. Beach parties in the winter. Um we dressed up, we rented a limo a few times and pretended like we were a wedding party and we went to the Goodwill and like got old bridesmaid and wedding dresses and drove around town like one of us got married. <laughs> <laughs> you know, stuff like that. Oh, that's really perfect. Fun. Okay, I need yeah. to come out to Minnesota sometime. Yes! Obviously. Super fun. <laughs> Obviously. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Hmm. Simple. It's okay if not everyone likes you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Number four, what advice still, do you have? For still you? working on that one. <laughs> <laughs> right. What advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Keep dancing. Mm. <laughs> Any That's kind it. of dance or just like dancing in general? Yeah, just like feeling it. Go for it. Yeah, cool. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Uh, I would pick a sunshine care bear. Oh, yeah. That's so nice. <laughs> Why would you pick that? <laughs> uh, because I'm a, I'm a pretty sunshiny person. And I loved the sunshine care bear when I was little. And so, yeah, that just popped to mind. The sunshine care bear. Cool. And lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Mm, I think it means to be fully yourself and to own that experience, own your experience up on stage and as you share that with people. Cool. I love it. I just remembered about an hour ago I was at physical therapy for my knees and my yeah. phys- I was telling my physical therapist about my podcast and he said, what's it called? And I said, claim the stage. And he goes, clam the stage <laughs> uh, nope <laughs> clam. Clam. like clam up i don't get it he thought it was about fishing <laughs> so anyway is there anything you'd like to share with my audience like do you have any events coming up or any cool things that you just want to make sure everybody hears about Well, I do have some really cool events coming up. I've got a local one here in Minnesota that um, I I won't bother telling you about because (laughs) (laughs) we're probably a handful of people listening from Minnesota. But in at the end of November, the beginning of December, I'm doing a two day retreat called the movers lab retreat. And it is for speakers who are working on a talk right now that just needs a little more guidance and mirroring and love and attention. So maybe this is a talk that you just haven't found your groove with it yet. It's maybe the one that you don't love doing, or maybe it's a brand new talk and you would love to have an audience. So this retreat experience is for just a few people, probably about five people, depending on the kind of cohort that I can build. And we will dig into these talks together, workshop them, give each other feedback and love and support and and encouragement and uh, launch it on the second day 
in a better place. So that check sounds that out. so cool. And that's in a cabin. Yeah, it's at my parents' cabin in Wisconsin. That is so, so awesome. I know. It's it's an amazing space and it's beautiful and I'm so excited to have this small group of people there and to go walk through these few days together. I'm really pumped about it. So um, if that sounds like you, if you're if you've got a talk that you've built but you're not loving it yet, we're gonna we're gonna push it to the next place. Awesome. How can yeah. I get information about that and more information about your work? Yeah, it's all over on my website, thismovedme.com. And on This Moved Me, there, there's an events tab where you can hear about the Movers Lab. And, and I also have a podcast. So there's information on there called This Moved Me. And I'm going to have Angela on the show. Yeah. Sometimes we're going to do it. Yeah. Can't wait. I know. Me too. Whatever so, it ends up being about, it has to be hairy something. Yeah, I totally agree. <laughs> There's so many hairy topics. I'm sure we can think of something. Seriously. <laughs> Sally, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Really, this was a lot of fun. We'll definitely have to do it again. I was delighted. Thanks for asking. There you have it. My interview with Sally Zimney. I hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. She is funny, right? <laughs> if you'd like to get more public speaking tips and keep in touch with me and find out all the interesting things I'm working on, please go to my website and sign up for my newsletter, AngelaLucier.us. There you will find all the answers to the universe. No, well, maybe. I don't know. Well, I can't promise that, but I will promise entertainment, inspiration, information, and probably stories about my cats. So friends, that's it for this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. See you later. <laughs>